Hour number three is brought to you by Inward Half. You can support Tennessee athletes by going to thevolunteerclub.com and grabbing the everything polo created by Inward Half. Inward Half has elevated and transformed performance-driven apparel into fashion-forward statement pieces for the entire family. You can experience the comfort of their signature polos, outerwear, and other accessories. All you got to do is check them out online at inwardhalf.com, and you can look for them in your favorite pro shop, inwardhalf.com. So our guest today is one of the all-time favorites in Big Orange Country, and with good reason. I'm going to try to give a brief introduction, which is not easy because this dude has accomplished a lot. Hailing from Alpharetta, Georgia, he uh, knows a little bit about quarterbacking. Uh, he was part of the Vol football program from 2013 to 2016. Started a few games as a freshman and a sophomore. At the end of that sophomore season, was named MVP of the Tax Slayer Bowl in the Vols win over Iowa. Became full-time QB1 for the Vols in the next season, leading the Vols to two consecutive 9-4 and four seasons a top-five ranking at one point of the 2016 regular season and postseason wins over Northwestern and Nebraska in the Outback and Music City Bowl. Was named MVP of the Music City Bowl as well in that game. But he'll be most remembered for his end-of-game Hail Mary to Juwan Jennings in Athens, Georgia, leading the Vols to a signature win over the Dogs in 2016. Truly an iconic moment, not just for Vol fans, but college football fans in general. Also, tremendous student-athlete possessing a perfect 4.0 GPA while majoring in aerospace engineering. All that resulted in being named a recipient of the 2017 Torchbearers Award, the university's highest honor for an undergrad. After moving on from Rocky Top, drafted in the fourth round of the 2017 NFL Draft by the Pittsburgh Steelers. From there, he's had additional NFL stops in Jacksonville, Cleveland, Tennessee, Detroit, Arizona, most recently Minnesota. He's also had stints as an NFL starter with the Titans, the Cardinals, and the Vikings was even named NFC Offensive Player of the Week in Week 9 of this season after a performance in the Vikings' last-minute win against Atlanta. He's a Tennessee legend, a top-shelf person as well. John and I are excited and appreciative to have him on the morning show. Listeners, join us in welcoming Joshua Dobbs. Hey, Josh. What's up? Good morning. Great introduction. How are you guys doing? We're good, man. Um, So, hey, thank you for joining us. Like I said, it's off-season for you, so... Tell us what you've been up to and how soon you get back into the swing of training or are you already in the midst of that again, all of that stuff? No, we got we got plenty of time to get back in the swing of training. Um, you know, the start of offseason is for, for the rest and the recovery from the season, you know, especially when you play a lot of snaps. Um, you know, your, your body goes through a lot just week in and week out throughout the year. So it's just getting rested, rejuvenated, hanging out with the fam, you know, traveling a little bit, obviously paying attention to the playoff football. Um, that's going on, but you know, just kind of enjoying the downtime, enjoying uh, a life without without the typical routine that you're used to um, for 11 months out of the year. And so, um, yeah, so it's it's been good. Obviously, season ended, you know, before we wanted to up in Minnesota, um, but you know, the second week of the off season has been good. Just getting rested and rejuvenated. Back from the season, obviously, it was a crazy year. A lot of traveling, um, a lot of picking up and moving locations. So. It's been good to have a chance to, to, to rest since then. And then uh, we'll probably start back getting back into a training regiment after the Super Bowl, and things will slowly ramp up throughout the offseason programming and to next season. But we got a long ways before that happens, so we'll, we'll, enjoy, we'll enjoy the free time of the offseason. 
Now, you may or may not remember this. You and I spoke on the phone a, a while back about your Torchbearer podcast, which we're going to talk a little more about in a few minutes. But just not too long after we spoke, um, you became a white hot topic in the sports news cycle. Uh, you were living through a lot. We were seeing you on feature pieces on NBC Sunday Night Football, Fox, Van Pelt, everywhere, it seemed. You were learning the names of your offensive squad and offensive play calling in Minnesota as you went in real time and starting at arguably the toughest position in the highest level of professional football. In the midst of all that, I mentioned it earlier, you performed at a high enough level to get an NFC Offensive Player of the Week award. They just obviously don't hand those out to anyone. That's a hell of an achievement. So load balancing comes to mind, but how did you handle all of that happening all at once? I mean, that was amazing. And uh, did you have any past experience that may have helped you manage that moment too? Man, I appreciate that. Yeah, it was um, it was a tremendous year uh, professionally as a football player, man. Like a lot of really good accomplishments, a lot of tough situations and excelling in them. So um, no, I was definitely proud of it. And it was good to get the recognition um, as well. So it was um, it was a lot, you know. It was a unique story, a unique path, and I kind of accepted that journey last year as I uh, strove to to prove myself as a week week in and week out starter in the National Football League. You know, we're not drafting the first round, or the opportunities not just handed to you. Um, you gotta you gotta go go about your business a little bit different than the normal path. So um, yeah, I just you know kind of just took it day in day out. You know, accepted everything that came with the opportunities. Um, knew like what success and the attention that that would bring. And, you know, with it all, being able to promote my story has been awesome to be able to share it with, you know, other players, um, whether it's, you know, high schoolers, college players, or even other professional players that have been in similar positions and are working for their opportunity to shine. Just show them that resilience um, that you have to have to be able to achieve those goals, man. It, w- it was good to be able to bring light to that. And obviously, you know, my time at Tennessee is highly documented everything I did from the classroom to on the field to in the community. So definitely juggling a lot of t- different aspects of life since college. And I think, you know, just being used to that in school, having to excel at a high level and a lot of pressure situations have prepared me for everything that, you know, has been thrown my way at the professional level. Josh, I got to be honest, man, you owe me a couple dollars or a couple drinks next time you're in Knoxville because I was on the wrong side of that Falcons-Vikings game when you came in off the bench. I was on the Vikings Man. money line and had to watch you go down the field with a minute left and, and no timeouts. It hurt watching one of my favorite players do that to me. I didn't know you were going to be playing. Man, that sounds like your fault, not my fault, my man. you gotta <laughs> you got to be smarter, man. you got to bet smarter. Josh Dobbs, as I said, he's from Georgia. What was the better time breaking Georgia's heart, the Hail Mary or the comeback in Atlanta in front of all those Falcons fans? Um, you know, probably probably the Helmer. I got I just have, you know, natural beef versus Georgia fans. You know, growing up in Atlanta, I did not grow up a Georgia fan, but I grew up a Falcons fan, right? So, um going to Georgia, having the Hail Mary, um, definitely was a huge moment. Obviously being a Falcons fan and kind of being on the other side of it was really cool to grow up going to games at the Mercedes excuse me, at the Georgia Dome, the old Georgia Dome. And then, obviously, watching the Mercedes-Benz Stadium being built and then having that performance on that field would definitely be extremely memorable. You know, the one that I love sticking it to the fans, though, is definitely the Hail Mary, without a doubt. Yeah, you know, now that I think about it, the fourth and seven scramble against the Falcons, they almost had you from behind. I was kind of like, get him, get him, get him. But then he ran. I was like, okay, good for Dobbs. 
But I will say the being in Sanford Stadium and watching the Hail Mary, it made up for it. For that pain you gave me on that Sunday, it was one of the best nights of my life getting to celebrate that win. 100%. 100%. Come on now. Um, Hey, staying on that note, any other memories, I'm thinking from a UT perspective, um, obviously we've talked about what happened in Athens and uh, it's one of the greatest memories I remember as a football fan, but any other memories that really stood out to you during your time as a quarterback in uh, Knoxville? Oh man, there's, there's a ton, you know, I think one of my favorites was my last game in Neyland, you know, against Missouri and um, having a really good game out there and going out on a high note. Um, You know, I think that the bowl wins were, were very special Bowl season then is completely different. It was completely different than what bowl season is now. Right. Um, you know, then, you know, the games were memorable and everyone was playing and, you know, you're playing for your school and they're representing your conference. And just as a great way to send off whether it's the seniors or to have the, uh, put the final note on the season, man. And so those, those games, those experiences, they're extremely competitive, but they're also a lot of fun to be able to have that one last go around, whether it was guys leaving or myself, my senior year, um, in the Music City Bowl in Nashville. So those are some of my favorite memories, like, on the field, man. Like, obviously, Florida coming and breaking the streak my senior year, man. Like, there's there's so many tremendous memories on the field. But I loved it also was, like, the memories off the field, man. Like, you become so close with those guys that you go to school with, um, that you work hard with, that you come in as an 18-year-old kid and you leave as a 22-year-old man, man. Like you, you become you become very close knit with all those guys, and you 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 form a lot of lasting bonds and memories, both on the field, obviously off the field. Just in you know going to school every single day, or or memories around campus, or memories around Knoxville. And um, it's been great to be able to come back to Knoxville and share those memories with those guys. Man, we're all when we're all in town and. Uh, we got some big things planned for this offseason to get back together, and so it'll be good to see everyone again. Yeah, you're talking about those bonds now. You know, some of those teammates. It's not the offseason for them yet, you know, whether it be Jawan in San Francisco or, or Reese Maven and Sutton in Detroit and your your podcast co-host, Trey Smith, you know, the Torchbears. He's still going, of course, with Kansas City. Six straight conference championships. My God. Is there a yep. team you're rooting for? Is, is there a team you're rooting for to win the Super Bowl? Man, that is tough. I got a lot of guys spread out across the teams. I would say, I'll say though, I'll say though, once you get to this point, man, you're just hoping for good football, man. You're hoping everyone stays safe, watch good football. If I had to guess who would win, uh, I think whoever wins the AFC is going to win the Super Bowl. So obviously, I want Trey to beat uh, beat the Ravens, even though uh, our guy T has been doing a great job coaching for the Ravens, man. Um, so that'll be a good, good matchup. I think whoever wins that game will take home the Super Bowl. You you face two of these defenses too. They're still alive with Baltimore and San Francisco. I mean, any uh, any thoughts on which one was tougher for you from your perspective as a starting quarterback? Um, you know they're both really good, man. Like we faced San Fran before they added Chase Young, so I know that's a whole other um, threat that they have over there. But I mean, they were all already rolling. I think you know. I think from a talent standpoint, I think um, San Fran. Might have the edge, but from just like an execution, consistency, or like overwhelming presence, I think Baltimore will have the edge. They play very different styles from a uh, defensive scheme perspective. Like San Fran is a more simplistic scheme, and they let their talent of their players kind of excel. And then the Ravens, they have really good players too, 
they also try to overwhelm you with schematics and blitzes and tendencies and stuff like that. So if you're not ready, um, which I mean at this point, like, everyone will be ready uh, for that. But still, they're extremely smart. And if you're not ready, man, they'll 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 hit you in the back of the head uh, with their blitz packages and get you behind the sticks early. What type of uh, relationship do you have with Nico? Is there any type of mentorship going on there? Has he reached out to you? Uh, because, of course, you know what it's like to have to, to play the starting quarterback position here at the University of Tennessee. Man, without a doubt. I've been able to cross paths with him um, last year when he came on as official. And then we went we threw um, together this past last offseason, excuse me, about a year ago when he first got to campus with himself and Joe and uh, the other QBs. And it was good to be around him. I haven't uh, – I, there, there hasn't been a, a, a mentor type thing going, man. Like, I know he's been getting acclimated to campus. I've had the craziest season of my life, um, but there'll be time to be able to get down and get around the guys and, and hang out with them at some point this off season. And so, yeah, it'll be good to to cross paths, man. Like, I, I was impressed with what I saw in the bowl game. I think the future's bright. He's gonna be a dynamic player. And it's good to see his growth, you know, just from coming into campus or, or the first game out there. Um, against Virginia at the start of the year and how well he played um, in the bowl game at the end of the year, man. So I think the sky's the limit, man. I'm happy for, for him as, as a person, as a player, man. I'm excited to see where he takes our balls to. Well, I'm going to do the job then. I'm going to be the middleman. Josh, okay. what's one piece of advice you would give Nico, the biggest thing you would tell him about being the starting quarterback at the University of Tennessee? Right, the biggest thing I'll say is just have fun. Like Being a starting quarterback at UT is everything you dream of, from the opportunity to play the game you love to being out there and the best experience best atmosphere in college football to being in the best college uh, town in college football, man. There's so, there's so many great things that come with uh, being the quarterback and, you know, obviously the pressure on you, the expectations on you, there's, there's a lot from, from fans and your teammates and at the end of the day yourself. Um, and so just embrace it all, man. Have fun with it. Enjoy every aspect of it and go out, trust yourself as you will and just play good football, man. It's very simple. It's the same game you've been playing forever. So have fun with it every time you get a chance to go out there and and perform on that stage. We're being joined by Josh Dobbs here on The Morning Show. Josh, um, I touched on it a little bit at the beginning. Uh, You have another project that you're working on uh, that looks like a lot of fun. Uh, I've watched some of the Torchbearer podcast videos because they're also available on YouTube. Um, and there's some uh, familiar names and faces playing a role in that too, which is awesome to see as a as a Vols fan. But tell us a little bit about the podcast itself. What drew you to working on this project, um, and uh, what what you're expecting to do with it moving forward? Yeah, man, like it's gonna be a really good off season. Me and Trey gonna team up. So it's me, Trey Smith, uh, Beach Galloway, uh, who we went to school with at Tennessee. Man, we're, we're on there. We're talking ball talking live or more more importantly just giving perspective to what's it like being you know an NFL player uh, off the, on and off the field you know what we're into and and our interests on and off the field man and just giving and just opening a door and peeling back the crane giving that perspective you know we live such unique lives um, Trey and myself man like Trey's about to go hopefully to another Super Bowl man and I just probably had the craziest NFL journey um, that anyone's ever had in the game up until this point. So just being able to provide that perspective and show people what it's like um, living the lives that we do, I think it's really cool and that people love and have enjoyed. And so we'll be able to sit down, man, have have more in-person conversations this offseason, get together, you know, talk about 
recapping the season, talk about our experiences off the field, and talk about building for the next seasons, the next part of our careers and our journeys, man. And so I think, like as, as you said, man, like Tennessee ball fans, they love it, man. Fans of the game, they love it. And so it's really cool to be able to provide that perspective. So we'll be, once once the season wraps, we're able to get on a routine basis. And we'll be launching episodes once or twice a week, you know, talking ball, talking shop, talking life, providing that perspective, man, and just giving the people uh, a look behind the curtains of what it's like to be a a, a, a VFL, uh, NFL uh, superstars in the league. You'll also learn a little bit about what these guys like in terms of uh... – convenience store or gas station food. yeah we'll have fun with it too yeah we'll have fun with it we yeah. we, have, we have some a lot of bucky fans in the room so if we have any bucky listeners man we'll talk about our favorite bucky experiences without a doubt josh dobbs torch bears go subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast appreciate the time good luck this off season good luck next year thank you no, no i appreciate y'all go balls see you buddy go balls all right that was josh dobbs appreciate him for joining us Sam, did you uh, want to hop in and ask about the uh, the end of that Jacksonville, Tennessee game? Because there was a part of me that wanted to bring it up, but I almost brought some Titans really. Yeah, I remember no it. You know, what I, mean? I remembered him talking about it's a new it. era. Yeah, I didn't want to bring up the the fumble slash incompletion. I was just wanting to be like, hey, how many times did you watch the replay? Did, did you think maybe it's like incompletion? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, I didn't. I didn't think it was a fumble. I didn't want to think of it. But I'd already gotten on to him about, you know, the Falcons money line bet that he cost me. So I didn't want to be like, hey, by the way, you know, I was also in Jacksonville. I had kind of, you know, patched up that wound a little bit too. I didn't want to take the band-aid off. Fair enough. You know? Fair enough. How, Pre- how, how, how no, I was gonna say, how how much do you think Titans Bill would have loved to have been on this call? <laughs> <laughs> Our Nashville Bureau. We probably would have gotten a lot of a lot of questions about, you know, his time with Mike Vrabel. <laughs> I don't I don't think Titans Bill's a questions type of guy. I think he's a tell people. I think he's been wow. telling Josh Dobbs things. And I'll tell you, Josh, here's what here's what happened. I think that's what would happen. That's what that's what happens when you've got the newly named uh, head of the Nashville Bureau for the morning show. <laughs> that's uh, that's a, that's Titans Bill for you. Appreciate Josh Dobbs for joining us. The Torch or not not the Torch Bears podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, appreciate him for his time. Sam sent us a break. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio. All right, I got to say, Bob, uh, catching up on some things we had discussed. Uh, I've seen a couple reverse angles of the uh, the Caitlin Clark situation. I got to say, she might have flopped. Thank you. Thank you. She, 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 drew, she drew some contact. She yeah. stuck her hands out to yes, draw a little contact. That's what I'm talking about. She wanted to get a foul. Is it a flop? I don't know. It's, it's embellishment. There was contact. So I can't call it a flop because to me a flop means you didn't really get hit. That's true. That's true. That's, true. that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. It's an embellishment. She sold the foul it and was, she wants Ohio State to get in trouble for storming the court. It was LeBron-like yeah. is what I would say. Well, sometimes LeBron doesn't even get hit. Sometimes that <laughs> yeah. elbow comes up, LeBron doesn't even get hit, and he'll yeah. go down. Kalen at least got hit. I'd love to know what Angel Reese thought of it all. Yeah. Well, you know, i got to say, I haven't. I, I don't know if it's just because maybe that was what Kim Malarkey was trying to do earlier this season, but I feel like she kind of Malarkey. Did you do that on purpose or? Yeah, uh, she kind of put a, a kibosh on on uh, Angel Reese as a like national star because I haven't really seen her no. discussed at all. I feel like the LSU women's team in general hasn't been discussed as much. Yeah, like, I no, feel I mean, like they I, were pretty hot with like was, that Haley Van Lith girl coming in. Like I thought that was going to be a huge storyline. Was that team? Now and, I will say, Sam, I got to be fair. I, I'm not really in the women's basketball circle, so maybe they still are 
hotly talked about, but I feel like they lost early in the season or at least struggled early in the season. We kind of all moved on, and, you know, uh, Caitlin Clark will watch her if she's on, but that's about oh, it. Thursday, we'll, we'll know a lot more. They what play South Thursday? Carolina on Thursday. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's the, uh, Iowa that's does? The top two. Uh, no, LSU. 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 Okay. Yeah. I just can't wait to see what Kim Mulkey's wearing. I'm kidding, man. I, that's that. She looks like a clown. I, I, the only thing I've seen from the women's basketball game that wasn't Lady Vol or Caitlin Clark related was LSU doing a dress like Kim Mulkey night uh, for the crowd. Like they they came that's in a there, tough assignment. Really loud, you know, sequence jackets and all that. But shout out to uh, Kelly Harper, hundredth uh, career win or at, at Tennessee over the weekend. So uh, beat Vanderbilt and got her hundredth win. So. Hasn't gotten fired yet, so I'm going to keep plucking along. And that's enough women's basketball talk. Yes, thank you. That's enough women's basketball The Stanford talk. coach became the all-time winningest coach. Yeah. 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 She got a cool jacket. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the jacket? No. No. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's a huge accomplishment for her 45 years, but I will note that you didn't put it in your – Things that we might have missed, so like right. don't don't come on here now trying <laughs> yeah. to do it. Yeah. You, didn't, you didn't even care enough about it to give her a mention in that segment. You, you started with amateur golf over her. <laughs> Forty five years and the all time winningest uh, college basketball coach, or at least Division one college basketball coach. I don't know if there's somebody on the lower level that's got more than her. That's fair. And you didn't even care. Twenty year olds a little more impressive than forty five years of dominance. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Depends who you ask. Okay, stop. I don't want any more women's basketball. Uh, <laughs> Nothing else? Oh, no. Muffet McGraw? Wow. I don't know if, what she's up to. I don't even know if she's still coaching or no. not. I was, just all, I was just thinking of college basketball coaches I knew. <laughs> Tennessee, the men's team, uh, has had their odds drop. They were 22-1 to 1 to win the national title. It went down to 20-1. to 1, And now that has even gone down even further to 17-1. to 1. So Tennessee becoming a more realistic national champion uh, target for betters. That that gives them the, I think probably the eighth best odds. Purdue, Houston, Arizona, Connecticut, Kentucky lead the way. North Carolina, Auburn at 15 to one, then Tennessee at 17 to one. Hmm. Yeah. I Kansas falling quite a bit after, yes. after their embarrassment over the weekend, losing to West Virginia, a six win West Virginia team got them. How about, how about Duke losing at home to Pitt? Yeah. That's yeah. wonderful. Just yeah. wonderful. Have you seen that photo that's going around on social media of the whole Cameron fan base? Yeah. They are flipping the bird off to this guy who jumped on the table. He went Pitt. full Dwayne Wade yes. um, and jumped uh-huh. up. Oh, it's the, great. The, Dwayne Wade did that in Miami. He's like, this is my city. This guy just went straight villain. Like, this is my building. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Random Pittsburgh guy who, who I guess, I mean, I don't know your name, but good job by you. But yeah, it's funny. Uh, Duke, Alabama, Kansas, all next at twenty-five to one. So all three teams that kind of got embarrassed this weekend, kind of they're clumped together behind Tennessee. I think we're going to learn a lot about Alabama and Auburn this week. They play head to head on Wednesday night. That's a big game in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, Auburn having better title chances than Tennessee does not seem right I, to me. I know. That's what I, was, I was thinking of the same thing. I saw that as well. And I mean, you know, it's a vintage Bruce Pearl team, I think. But and and they've won eleven in a row. I get it. They're hot. Um, they're they're pretty deep. But um, I, I I'm with you again. That's why I'm going to be watching that Wednesday night game closely. Uh, not so much for Alabama, but more for Auburn. Top ten offense, top ten defense for Auburn. When you look at the uh, the efficiency, I mean they. They are one spot behind Tennessee in the Kempom rankings, but again, uh, have a 
number nine ranked offense and a number six ranked defense. I'm sure that they have kind of feasted on a bad schedule, though. Like they haven't really been tested in terms of 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 teams they've had to beat. They have no quad one wins yet. So like they, they it's an experience any. group for sure, kind of yeah. like us a little bit. Well, but yeah, well, I don't think they should have better title odds than but, us. But Sam, what I'll say to that is though, like yeah, they're experienced, but like. It, 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 it almost reminds me of, like, Tennessee's secondary. Sure. Do you trust KD Johnson? Because I don't. He's a maniac. Right, so you can tell me he's experienced, but, like, that's not a good thing. Like, Mm-mm. and I, I'm sure Auburn's playing well, so I'm sure KD Johnson's been pretty playing pretty well, but, like, I, I don't trust him to make plays down the stretch. I trust him to choke. I, and, like, for all I talk about Rick Barnes failing in the tournament, like, you know, uh, Bruce Pearl's been known to, to lose a couple games he shouldn't have in the tournament as well. And I know he's got the Final Four at Auburn, so you can't take that away from him. Maybe the Elite Eight at Tennessee, I, I get that. But, like, outside of that, his career hasn't been great in terms of tournament success. Since which, I mean, since, you know, obviously. Uh, I mean, short of that. First fu- stop, yeah. The Final Four at Auburn, short of that, they've been a disappointment in the tournament. Right. Just about every other time he's brought them there. Yeah. So, like, I mean, Kenny Johnson's been a part of that. I'm surprised to see he was still there this year. I was like, good Lord. Yeah, maybe he's one of those guys that just feels like he's been there for 10 years, or maybe he's a COVID guy that's been there six years. Hell, I don't know. I don't he's bother. been there six, I think. Oh, really? Okay, I don't bother to look it up. His career at Auburn is going to be the best, you know, for him. Like, he's not an NBA prospect, obviously, and he'll make – probably makes pretty good money down there NIL-wise, so stay as long as you want, I guess. Tennessee's current odds on FanDuel, Bob, to reach the Final Four, the first ever for the program, plus 390. Plus three ninety, so you bet a hundred dollars, you win three hundred and ninety dollars. There's a school. I maybe you did mention it. I didn't catch it. Where, Eighth best odds. Where is North Carolina stacking up in those? Numbers? North Carolina is plus three fifty to make a Final Four, uh, which is better odds than Tennessee. But to win the to win the actual title, they come in at uh, fifteen to one, right there, one spot, tied with Auburn, right ahead of Tennessee. That one I buy more than Auburn. I, I, I sure. think North Carolina is dialed in. The ACC is, you know, they may get four teams in the tournament. They're going to roll through conference, or they should. Um, you know, then there's the tournament. But I, I, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with the way North Carolina's playing right now. Well, it's one of the reasons you can't fully trust the metrics. You can't fully trust the net rankings. Because, like, I don't understand how you look at Auburn and North Carolina – and have Auburn one spot ahead of North Carolina. I agree. When like North Carolina's four and three against quad one opponents. So like to win a championship, you gotta beat quality teams. And North Carolina has shown that they can beat quality teams. They've done it four times. Whereas I told you Auburn, 0 oh and two. Auburn's got two losses, both quad one wins. North Carolina or both quad one losses, excuse me. Uh and North Carolina's got three losses, all quad one. So like I don't understand what on the resume shows that Auburn is better than North Carolina. And quite frankly, you could say the same thing about Auburn, uh, excuse me, North Carolina and Tennessee, just looking at like resume and ranking wise, because obviously they beat you head to head. But Tennessee's three and four and against quad one, North Carolina four and three. So I mean, maybe you're splitting hairs at that point and Tennessee's been more impressive against their other opponents, but still that, that stuff will work itself out the more data we get to it or get with it. But yeah, right now, take it with a grain of salt. I'm just looking at latest, the most recent bracketology, which is a couple days old from Lenardi. What I'm amazed by is he's got, and it's got to be, it's prior to Alabama losing at Tennessee. He has them as a four seed. That just seems 
super high to me. He's got him as a four seed along with Marquette and Illinois and who else? Um, Creighton. I mean, those are all, I feel, far better teams than Alabama um, based on what I saw on Saturday. That's not to say Alabama is always going to be losing by 20, but I just was not not as impressed with them. Um, and Illinois now with Terrence Shannon back and – I mean that that that's, that bodes well for Tennessee though from a standpoint of that the, the the impact of that win against them I think will be more valuable as time goes on. We've seen it with Wisconsin too. He currently has he hasn't done like an updated bracketology like on the sites the, the, the full bracket right. But he has released his top sixteen seeds and like you know bubble and all that that he'll put on his one pager and, and tweet out. Yeah. He still has Alabama as the very last four seed. Wow, but they're falling. Uh, Tennessee currently ranked as the best. Two seed, so the fifth overall seed, which depending, you know, they don't always match that up perfectly. Sometimes they'll give the two seed a good spot, and you know, with the region they want and and final and all that. But you you wouldn't match up on the S line with uh, North Carolina right now, a team, of course, that you lost to. But I do think that Tennessee fans wouldn't be afraid of playing North Carolina again. Yeah, I think in the second half you saw like, hey, you can do some things against them, and maybe they don't shoot have their best shooting night of all time. I mean, they, they, they were busting your ass. I mean. I'll tell you, another team that's starting to slide a little and you love to see it is Memphis. Yeah, Memphis made history, or at least helped helped, helped their opponent make history. Like, they were on – who they lose to? Was it South – South Florida. South Florida. Florida. And South Florida hadn't had a top 25 win since, like, 2002 or yeah. something like that. They're like 0-20-something. And, and then they lost to Tulane last night, too. Um, yeah. Or maybe it was Tulane that hadn't done it. Then maybe maybe Tulane's the one I saw. Yeah, maybe. I either one. They're not. Those those are not great losses. And they're again their their net ranking was not necessarily that high in comparison to their one loss record. So those are those are costly losses for them. Um, yeah, Tulane had lost fifty three straight games against ranked teams. Wow. 53 straight. That's the one I saw because they they, uh, they they were obviously tweeting about it and history made and the streak's over and. <laughs> Uh, threw out a graphic and said, keep the change with a couple pennies on it. You're like, okay, nice. But, yeah, Tulane ended a 53-game losing streak against top 25 opponents by beating Memphis. Yeah, Memphis uh, crashing back down to earth. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you find themselves just, like, on the bubble by the time the uh, by the time the actual tournament rolls around. FAU is also kind of taking a downturn. Yeah. Jordan, shout out Jordan Moore. He tweeted something wild this morning. FAU uh, only beat seven and twelve UTSA by nine in overtime, and they had a player score thirty four, another guy score twenty six, and another guy score twenty one, and they shot forty eight percent from three. That that confounds me because FAU, <laughs> I still stand by this when they that game against Arizona earlier this season, maybe one of the best college basketball games I've watched yeah. in three or four years. Yeah, it was I mean, awesome. It was incredible. And and then they turned around and just started sliding downhill after mm-hmm. that win. Does it make me a hater to be relishing in their demise? <laughs> no. Because they, they beat not. us fair and square. It wasn't like, I can't look and say, like, no offense, Boilermaker Bob, but, like, I hate Purdue because I'm like, hey, we didn't foul Carson Edwards. That wasn't a foul. He kicked his leg out. There's minimal contact, <laughs> bad call, Refs blew it. Barnes started granting uh, over you know, on the bench in overtime. Those things I could be mad about. FAU, the guy just punched you straight up, and like Uros was getting a flagrant foul for being a, an idiot, and then like the rest of our team played soft. Like, I don't, does it make me a hater to still hate FAU who beat us so. fair and square? I think it might be more cheating, news, like Purdue, did. in terms <laughs> of like a program maybe trying to 
to hire Dusty May in a couple of years. Like, I think you might have some second thoughts about that if it's given up like 90 points a game in this stretch here the last like month. <laughs> He's going to end up at Indiana. I'm you telling think? you, Indiana's sliding. Woodson's not going to stay that long. Dusty May was on Knight's staff as a manager way back when. He went to IU. That'd be interesting. That's preordained, I'm telling you. Okay. He, he ends up in Bloomington. Interesting. It's going to be their last chance at relevance. They're losing it yeah. quickly. Okay. I like that. I was thinking Dusty May maybe had a little bit of a Tennessee tie, right? Because isn't uh, one of the the White brothers the AD at yeah, or yes. the eight, maybe it's the sisters the AD at uh, oh, FAU? I, I've heard Danny White's a big fan of Dusty May. Yeah. So yeah. I thought maybe there was a tie there. But, yeah, okay, from Illinois. Yeah. Yeah, but if you keep losing, you might you might end up like David Shaw. You might end up like uh, what I've even forgot his name. Matt Matt Campbell is that his name? Matt, Matt Campbell, Campbell yeah. yeah. Went from hottest coaching commodity to oh wow yeah you're stuck at Iowa State, buddy. David Shaw's like I'm getting a an interview with the Titans and all Titans fans are like wait what? Why are we interviewing David Shaw? But you know seven years ago he could have picked his spot. He could have went and coached anywhere, college or NFL. So be careful, Dusty May. <laughs> Be careful. So what's the verdict, Bob? Am I a hater for rooting for FAU's demise? Uh, yeah, they they beat your team, man. Fair and square, though. Yeah, but and they, you know they were and they were legit. I mean, they ended up in the Final Four and could have gotten to the championship game. But uh, I, I was very happy when San Diego State hit the buzzer beater. Against yeah, them. yeah, that did make me happy. I didn't want FAU to win at all. Really? I didn't want to win at all, and I didn't want them to. I wanted San Diego State to win. Some people are. Split down the middle on that. Like, if you lose if you to lose. a team, they want them to just go on and win it all. So you're like, oh, at least I lost to the champion. But then also it's like the Cinderella team won, you know, and we if lost. You, if you lose the champion, then, see, my, I'm always like, well, that could have been us. That should have been right, us. Right, right, That's what I'm saying. Especially if you lose a close one. Like, you know, as soon as Purdue beat us, it's I was all rooting. all the what ifs that come. Yeah, I was play. rooting for, please, Virginia, hit this shot. <laughs> Was it Virginia knocked out Purdue that year? Right on the on the free throw, throw it down, and Ryan Klein. Ryan Klein misses the yeah. free throw that would have locked the game up. How about that? Great irony. How about that? It yeah. comes down in Arizona, just hits a little. Yeah, Purdue fans had as much pain as Tennessee fans just a few days later. And I relished in that too. Yeah, I relished in that too. I, if a team beats me, I want them to lose. Like Jacksonville last year, they beat the Titans. Okay, now you lose. Mm-hmm. I want to see you lose, not win at all. <laughs> Whoever beats us in March this year, I'm going to want them to lose too. Sister Jean, were you rooting for Loyola after she beats us? Because I want them to lose. Charlie's still got something out for Sister Jean. Uh, you know, the, the media cover's got, got to be a little bit too much, to be honest. <laughs> got to be a little bit too much. You're just not a passionate fan if you're not, you know, if you're not going out there and having root and interest against a team after you lose to them. I need to have, yeah, I need to have somebody to root against, and typically it's going to be somebody that brought me pain. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's every good fan. If you can't root for your team, yeah. you want to root against someone that you don't like. Oh, well, Georgia. Georgia beat us last year. I'm going to root for them to win a title. Or Oh, yeah. LSU beat you in the SC Championship. I hope they win it all. No. I never do that. Yeah. Never. No. I'm rooting for them. I'm holding this grudge years later. Sure are. I'll hate Florida Atlantic three years from now. I root for Loyola to Chicago to still lose to this day. And again, don't get me started on Purdue, Bob. The football program too. I kinda liked I kinda liked Jeff Brom. 
So I was kind of like, okay, I, I want him to do well, but now that he's gone, I hate them too. Hey, not for nothing, but I'll just remind Tennessee fans that you had you should you should be embarrassed losing that game. Quite honestly, Purdue had so many guys opting out, key guys, Karloftis, David Bell, all these other players. I was figuring that game was going to be a blowout. So I don't know what to tell you, man. Uh, Here he goes, twist the knife. Hey, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm just still out of bad defense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm just saying that game. I, you know, and I'm, I'm. Yeah, I don't know what the hell our secondary is doing in the game. It, it was yeah. crazy. Hinton yeah. threw for 400 yards, and I feel like he left 150 on the table of missing deep bombs too. I thought him and Tillman could have had like records, like 500 and 300, but. And missed him a couple times. Anyways, enough of that. Go to break. It's t- it is uh, the, the Fan Run Radio Morning Show. Stick with us. Are you- we'll do a last call for phone calls. If anyone wants to hop on here in the next couple minutes, 865-546-8200. Good job by Josh Dobbs. Good job by Ryan Shumpert. Good job by Tennessee beating the hell out of Alabama. Any thoughts on uh, Tennessee firing up Dixieland Delights again at the end of the game? Uh, Tennessee Saturday night, another win over Alabama. Oh, it was good. It was. Uh, I was there for it. We stuck around actually till the end of the game. We decided to wait out the traffic, and so watched a lot of that. And man, they kept going with it. It was fun. Uh, it's. Uh, it was nice to see Alabama just shuffle off the court as fast as they could. Maybe it's the new cigar. Maybe if you win, you get to play it. If you lose, you don't get to. Some NFL news as we uh, get ready to wrap up the show. Eagles coach Sirianni does fire his demoted defensive coordinator, so it does look like he's going to keep his job, Sam, because that was the stipulation, like, hey, you got to get rid of your coordinators, and he is firing his coordinator. Matt Patricia not coming back either. Uh, So at least there's, I guess, traction there that he is going to survive. Maybe he found somebody. Last week they had him making phone calls to potential coaches and coordinators, so maybe he got one to bite and take the job. Big injury news to watch this week as we head into Conference Championship Sunday. The Niners consider Debo Samuel 50-50 versus the Lions, and they need Debo Samuel. Let's go to the phone lines. You said we got Matt? We got Matthew, yeah. Let's get Matthew on. What's up, Matthew? Hey, fellas. How we doing? Happy Monday. Good morning. Same to you, man. So after Saturday's game versus Bama, I mean, who didn't enjoy a 20-piece? I think that was great. But I guess my question, you know, guys, as we look in the room right now, it seems like it's a three-team race. Obviously, Kentucky looks good with Big Z now. Auburn's always had a good, you know, Bruce Pearl to Bruce Pearl. So I'm going to ask the room right now, as it sits here in January, who is your confidence pick right now, John, to win the conference? The betting favorite is Auburn, according to uh, FanDuel. They are plus 115. Tennessee second at plus 195. Alabama plus 550. Kentucky plus 700. Wow. So Alabama getting better chance than them. Auburn's schedule sets up well for them, man. Like I think Tennessee's better than Auburn, but I just we have to play a tougher schedule here in Knoxville. So I guess I'll go with Auburn begrudgingly. I hope I'm wrong. I guess. I guess the, the the thought is when you talk about the scheduling, you know, Auburn only has to play Kentucky once, and we exactly. get to play them twice. Right. So that's that goes into effect. The next question I'll, I'll ask Bob is, you know, Dalton Connect. I mean, what else can we say about this man? This guy's playing at a different level than he was in November, December. And so here's my question for you. You know, the national media writers, Jeff Goodman, you know, they don't really respect this team based off the history of Coach Barnes in March, and that's fair. But I guess my question is, what else can this team, in your eyes, Bob, like what else, 
what does this team miss right now or need to be doing to get that national media respect? Because we have a top 20 offense efficiency. We have the number two defense in Ken Palm and we're two and four in, in quad one wins. So I think the resume speaks for itself. I mean, I guess, do they want more from Santiago and Josiah? I just think it's more just we, you know, Tennessee has to show them, you know, and 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 we won't be able to see that until we hit March. Um, you know, I don't know what it would take if they, what if they swept Kentucky this year, um, which I I think would be a, a steep task. Um, would that change anything? I mean, I I can't tell you how many people I saw, I saw on social media this weekend doing the whole. Yeah, they look great this weekend. Just wait till March. You know, that's just the fan base. You know, not necessarily the 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 writers, but um, that is the prevailing notion. And I I don't think there's any way out of that except delivering in March. And yes, to your point, I think that got to get more from you know Santiago and uh, and Josiah. Um, we saw it from Santi this weekend. He looked good on Saturday, and that's a good sign. Ganey's a good sign. Josiah, not sure what's happening there. Um, could be ceding some minutes to Jemai at this point. We were talking about that earlier. The other thing I would say is for them to correlate into success, they we talked about this as well. They need they need to make sure there's a backup plan for for uh, Jonas because um, Awaka sometimes is a little overmatched, gets in foul trouble. I know they're getting Estrella out there and giving him minutes. That's going to be critical. Um, I'm less concerned about. Zakai's minutes, people talk about that a lot, but they're they're paying attention to that. He only played 32 this week. Um, I I don't buy this notion that the more minutes he plays, the more he might you know he's going to get hurt. It's like I I I just think you got you can't play that way. I, I don't think they're necessarily worried about getting hurt as much as just getting worn down. I mean, I yeah. do think the extra you know eight minutes a game, you start multiplying that. Yeah, all of a sudden fair. you get to the end, you're you're playing an extra two or three games versus against your competition, like. I don't know if they're worried about his knee as much as just like he's 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 a smaller guy. And he's a physical guy when he plays defense, so just a wear and tear. No, I agree with that. I'm saying again, it's more like if you talk about feedback from the fan base and the writers, they talk about that the injury potential. And I agree with you on on just fatigue yeah. that that could be an issue. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, it, they they just got to go deliver. That's that's the only way. It's it's show us. That's that's what I'm sure the media is saying at this point. Yeah. Well, listen, gentlemen, I know you got to wrap up. I just wanted to call in and say y'all are doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing, and as always, go Vols. Appreciate you. Thank you, man. If you are – I, I want to take back my answer. I want to I say I'm not making my decision yet just because Auburn, their schedule is easy, but they do have a chance to slip up this week. Like, if you're going to win this conference, if you're Tennessee, you, you almost have to have Auburn lose a game this week. They go on the road twice. They play at Alabama. They play at Mississippi State. You need Mississippi State to do you a solid. <laughs> you know, they, they got they gave you a loss. They, they need to do you a favor and win at home against Auburn. Yeah, they've got some games. You know, at Ole Miss, they just laid Ole Miss out on Saturday. Ole Miss, Ole Miss sucks. Ole Miss is what we thought they were. Yeah. They, they stink. Um, at Florida, but yeah, the only playing Kentucky once is a thing. Kentucky is the one that worries me more than Auburn. That's uh, my best bet at yeah. plus seven fifty or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That, that's crazy. Value wise, now that's I think crazy. their defense is so bad, but their offense is pretty potent. And then yeah. them adding, what, how do you say his name again? Zvonavir, uh, Big Z, Zvonimir, Zvonimir <laughs> Ivasic. After adding little Big Z, like yeah, I mean like that that could change the dynamic there. 
But, you know, we're talking about Auburn's schedule. It probably is worth at least pointing out that Tennessee does benefit a bit from not having to go to Auburn. So, like, you do only play Auburn once, and you get them at home. And Rick Barnes doesn't lose a non-COVID seasons at home. Like, I mean, if Thompson Bowling Arena is able to go and put 19, 20, 21,000 people in there, chances are Tennessee is going to win. That's been the history. Like, you, that's a very safe bet. That is that is Patrick Mahomes in the playoffs level betting. Yeah. You might not win every time, but you're going to feel good about yourself if Rick Barnes is at home. So, like, if that does come down and you are down – a game whenever they come here at the end of February, you have a chance to make that game up. Do you agree with me that the reality check with Kentucky is one and one against them? Yeah. I mean, they're they're what they're averaging like ninety three points a game the last five games. I mean, they like you said earlier, John. That it's like high octane offense. Tennessee's a great defensive team, but man, I I just I don't feel good about that Lexington game. I, I have I a feeling that those matchups are going to be kind of like. Blowout wins for each home team. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe not blowout, but like a, maybe like a double-digit win. You yeah. Know, like 10 points or something like that. Pretty easy. I think Tennessee has a chance to do to Alabama or do, do to Kentucky what they did to Alabama. Because, I mean, Alabama was a high-level offense, too. And, like, I think Tennessee is just physical and plays good defense. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I do think now, you know, there's a chance that Kentucky just shoots the lights out at home. Like, they've done that to us a couple times when we've had good defenses. So, like, if you're asking me do I think Tennessee wins at Rupp, Probably not. Probably not. But, like, I do see a scenario where they go up there and, and, like, Tennessee plays better defense than Kentucky can. Because, like, Kentucky scores a bunch of points, but I think Tennessee is just as good at scoring when they are locked in. Like, I mean, I know the actual, like, you know, the metrics aren't going to say Tennessee's as good of an offensive team. But, like, when Tennessee is locked in and playing well, those numbers look a lot better. I think they score best as a team, but Kentucky obviously has – probably the more talented like one-on-one players that you can get there. To me, I think it's that, the size. Is that the that case? Makes... Do they have a better one-on-one player than Connect? At the college think... level. I'm not talking about NBA prospects. I'm not, I, I know they'll have some guys that end up in the league and play at a high level, but like – Antonio Reeves is Antonio really Reeves good. is yeah. playing great ball, okay. man. He's got, I mean, his, yeah. he's got numbers that are just as good as Connects right now yeah. if you look at it. That, that's fine. That's fine. I, I just – for my money, like I, I haven't seen anybody so far yeah. on Tennessee's schedule that I'm looking at and saying I'll take him over Connect when it comes just to scoring. To me, I think it's the bigs that are my concern against Kentucky, Like especially if sure. you've got Big Z in there now. like I think Trey Mitchell is a guy that is kind of a glue guy for them. And if Physical, you get Big yeah. Z in there as yep. more of a scorer, like if you're forcing a Waka to have to guard him, like I think that's a oh, nightmare. Oh, if they go with two longs too, which they can do now with Ahmad right. Bradshaw. And, yeah, you, and, have, you have Aaron yeah. Bradshaw. Yeah, yeah. Oh, or Aaron Bradshaw. Well, my yeah. co-hosts just love Kentucky. I'm glad well, you know that Sam team. and Bob just love Kentucky they're, so much. They're a great team. Um, what, what is it you told me? Antonio Reeves has just as good numbers as Connect. And I'm not saying he doesn't, but 21, 27, 22, 14, 19 – my boy Connect just had 40, 38, 28. Like, let's, let's put a little bit more respect on his name. I'm not saying Reeves isn't good. Is it Reeves averaging 20 a game? He's <laughs> averaging 20 a game. I'm still, I was winning to his last four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, As, sure. was, and I think it's hurt Connect in the fact that he's only been able to play those like 20 minutes a game for that four-game stretch where his ankle was kind of hurt. So like, Reeves has got to 30 misleading. once. He, he got to 30 once. And, okay. and Connect just had a pretty good run of doing that a couple All right. Times. Jumping off Kentucky, though, very quickly because I know we're running out of time. I was looking at Tennessee's schedule, and it's a reminder, man. It's tough. Two games against Texas A&M. Still got to go to Tuscaloosa. Uh, Auburn is the one game in Knoxville, which is a benefit. Um, this whole notion, again, if we're talking about Will Warren's 15-3, and three, I think that's going to be stiff, man. That's, that's going to be tough. That doesn't mean they can't win it. 
the it, conference, but I think it's going to be a tough road. It's going to come down to four of your last five. Like, you're going to be in contention to win the SEC. You're going to be in contention for a one seed. And four of your last five, you got A&M, Auburn, at Alabama, at South Carolina, Kentucky. So, like, you know, just three of those last four, Auburn, Alabama, Kentucky, those are teams we're talking about chasing. So, like, if you can finish the season strong, you're going to have it on the table to be a one seed. That's all right. Vol Hoops has recorded 85 points or more in three straight games, all in SEC play. That's the first time it's happened since February of 1978. 1978. They've only done it two other times just in general, having three straight 85-point games. So They can't shoot the ball. They can't shoot the ball. <laughs> Antonio Reeves is just as good as Dalton Connett. <laughs> Come on, man. The G.I. Jake Show coming up next. Jake Miller, Brett Hollander, and Marcus... Young. I always want to call him Marcus King. <laughs> Stay locked in right here on Fan Run Radio.